This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 6. And the quote of the day is from Paolo Coelho, who said, One day you will wake up, and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted to do. So do it now. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and it is a cold Monday in New York City, let me tell you. But uh, the good news is we got another podcast for you. Got my buddy Jeff Brown on the show. Jeff Brown is a buddy of mine that I met through the artist relations stuff that I do at Boso Drumsticks. He's also a Boso uh, Drumsticks artist. So I've come to know him through that and hung out with him in Nashville when we were down there in July and most recently got to hang out with him last week in Indianapolis. He was in town with Casey James, who he's currently on tour with, and we were in town for the Percussive Arts Society International Convention. So we got to meet up and hang out and see the show. Um, it was a it was a great show. Um, Jeff Jeff played his tail off, so it was it was great. Um, a little bit about Jeff. Jeff grew up in California. And he's been all over the place. He's uh, he's done the cruise ship thing. He he did a USO tour. Um, he he played in in a band called Dreaming in English, um, which was actually his favorite band when he moved to Nashville. And uh, he ended up joining that band and played with them for years. He's opened up for Rush. Um, I mean, he's done a he's done a ton of different things. We're going to get into it with him a lot. But uh, he's currently he plays with Reeves Gabrels who was in um he was in David Bowie's band and also he's on tour like I said with Casey James who was the American Idol runner up uh not runner up I think he finished third actually uh for American Idol and yeah now they're on the road and uh and Jeff's out there killing it with him so uh without further ado Jeff welcome to the show buddy thanks so much for doing this man it's great to have you thanks Nick thanks for having me man I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, so you're fresh off the road, as I hear, right? That's right. I, uh, I'm currently on the road with uh, Casey James and uh, Sporting Artist. And uh, basically, I've only been with him for about three weeks. His drummer abruptly quit, and uh, they needed a replacement, so I got the call. <laughs> hmm. Just roll, he just rolled out, huh? Yep. I guess he uh, he got an offer he couldn't refuse, and it took off, so to my benefit. Oh, okay. So he went, he went, uh, elsewhere. Yep. He wasn't just like, ah, I'm out of here. No, no. But, uh, but, uh, it's been great so far. So I'm enjoying myself. So. Great. So is that a, uh, is that a more of a semi-permanent gig now, or is it kind of like a, I'm, uh, uh I'm hoping so. They, uh, basically I'm hired on for the rest of the year. Uh, and then he's going to take basically December and January off, record a new record. And then they'll probably kick up at the end of January or February. And I'm waiting to hear. Hopefully, I'll be invited out next year. So, and oh, should, great. should be like 200 plus dates if that happens. So that would be fantastic. Wow. Yeah. And what size? What size venues are you playing? Uh, it just depends. At, the, at this late uh, in the year, it's a lot of county fairs, and then there's theaters and clubs. Um, so it just depends. You know, you could have. Uh, you know, a club that fits maybe a thousand people and then play a fair for several thousand. So right. it just depends. But, awesome. But, uh, and they were playing arenas all summer with, uh, 
with Taylor Swift. So I'm I'm bummed I didn't get the gig sooner. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say you and I talked about that, and I think that you got on the on the tour like the day after, like the last day of Taylor Swift. Or yeah, something. I, they basically called me the the day I think her last day, uh, her last day of the tour, and uh, so basically I think five days after that I was on the road. <laughs> Oh wow! Yep. So, so how does that? I mean, I know for the artists, it's a it's a better uh, it's a better thing to be, you know, say playing with Taylor Swift than doing smaller clubs, headlining, sure. you know. Um, but is how's that work? I mean, is the bread different for you? Like, say you're on tour with Taylor Swift, and then you're you know you're opening for Taylor Swift with Casey, and then you go to something like smaller clubs or something like that. Does the, does the bread usually stay the same or yeah, is it, does it fluctuate? Typically, uh, it's been my experience where, you know, you sign on for a certain pay rate and it stays pretty consistent. And then the longer mm-hmm. you're with the artist, you know, they'll bump you up usually every year or, or as they get more success, they try to right. share the wealth. Um, right. But yeah, but just playing, you know, throughout the year, you may play an arena, you may play a stadium or you may play to 50 people in a club depending on the day. Right. <laughs> and, I uh, got you. Right. But, but you're pretty much, you know, get what you get. And, uh, mm-hmm. but you're, you know, I mean, it's most people I work with has been, it's been very fair. So can't complain. Okay. And, and you get to do it. And you there's love. no, uh, <laughs> what's that? And you get to do what you love, you know? So, right. Definitely right. No complaining. There's definitely, uh, something to be said about getting to getting paid to do what you love. Exactly. So. Exactly. So you've been, um, how long have you been in Nashville now? I moved to Nashville basically, uh, I, it's, I think the end of 93, early 94, I moved to Nashville. Okay. And, uh, I originally grew up in Orange County, California and, uh, mm-hmm. still miss it. I love it out there, but, uh, yeah. basically got a gig, um, playing, I was going to college, kind of floundering. I knew I wanted to play drums for a living but I had no idea how to go about doing that. You know, I just, right. I just had no idea. I didn't have family or friends in the music industry or anything. So, uh, through the lead singer of my band at the time, he used to do cruise ship gigs where he was like singer dancer and stuff like that. Well, he got an offer to go on a cruise ship and, uh, I said, Hey, offhandedly, do they need a drummer? He said, I'll ask next day. They offered me the gig sight unseen, never heard of me, never asked for an audition, nothing. They just, on his recommendation, gave me the gig. So about two weeks later, I left, and uh, it was a cruise ship out of Portland, Maine. It was basically a glorified ferry, but uh, we we went and played, (laughs) you know, basically seven nights a week for six months on... uh, Wow. And it it was great. Great experience. Awesome. Uh, Do you like the water? I do. I love the water. Yeah, me too. I, I, me too. In fact, being in Nashville, I, I really miss the ocean. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, but long story short, that uh, that gig ended, and my phone's making all sorts of noises. Sorry about that. Um, That's right. Uh, I basically, the producer from the cruise ship for the entertainment lived in Nashville, so we, we had to come to Nashville first for rehearsals, then go to the cruise ship, then come back to Nashville, and we could fly home to wherever that was. And so I spent a week in Nashville before I was going to fly back to California and ended up through people I met on the cruise ship said, Hey, they're my friend's band is looking for a drummer. Are you interested? And I said, no, I, you know, I'm moving back to California and, uh, you know, right. I would never want to move to Nashville. I'm, I don't even like country music or, you know, 
Well, I ended up right. My gear's here, but I'll go jam with the guys if if that's cool. Sure. So I went set up in these guys' house, total strangers, and uh, ended up loving it. They played all the music I liked. It was a rock band, basically a cover band, and uh, so I made the decision. Oh, I got nothing to go home to really except family. I, you know, I was just going to go back to college. Why not play music? So I ended up right. moving to Nashville, and it's been a, the best hmm. move I ever made. It's been great. Yeah. So do you think that, uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to tell, but do you think it would have been different if you would have moved back to L.A. Yeah, or I, Orange County? Yeah, I think it would have been a little a little harder um, to move back to L.A. Uh, just uh, uh, with no connections at all out there, I would have been really starting at the bottom. And, right. um, you know, there's no telling. It, I would think sure. I would still try full on and, and do what I could. But uh, mm-hmm. I guess with the leg up in Nashville, it was kind of, you know, I had made a few connections, so that kind of got my foot in the door. And uh, right, right, right. eventually that probably could have happened in L.A., but, uh, you know, it kind of, L.A. felt like there were so many people there doing what I wanted to do that Nashville was a little smaller pool, <laughs> if you will. I got you. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it ended up being great. Smart that makes sense. I mean, the... Uh... <clears throat> excuse me the la thing is uh like you said it's uh, it's tough man you know yeah. and especially I, I i'm guessing um i mean i wasn't there but i'm guessing that in the early 90s the nashville scene wasn't i i don't want to say it wasn't as competitive as it is now but it seems like there's been this like mass exodus from new york and la and a lot of people are going to nashville definitely absolutely and i think that's mostly you know the recording cats and stuff they and back when i moved here i i didn't even really know i wanted to be a studio guy the last guy mm-hmm. i just knew to play drums so i happened right. to join a band and i always wanted to be in a band that was a thing too i, I wanted to be in a band with my brothers right. you know go rule the world and yeah. uh, I remember talking when we had lunch in Nashville, you were saying that, that you were originally um, you wanted to go do the original thing. And you were like, I don't really want to be like a side man or anything. I yep. wanna... Yeah, that's that was my total mindset. And luckily, you know, I was lucky up until about 2001. I, I had several bands up until then. But uh, 2001 was the changing point. You know, I'd been in all these rock bands. We were a band. We were touring, you know, put out records that no one ever heard <laughs> couldn't get on the radio um, right, right right you know it was it was a tough existence and uh mm-hmm. and then about i've been down that road man <laughs> absolutely yeah, you know it's uh, yeah. it's it's tough and uh it was kind of when that band ended it was devastating to me it was like man what am i going to do now and so i had to kind of shift my whole uh perspective around and go well maybe i should try to be a side musician and uh, mm-hmm. and then other doors opened up, and then I was I got invited to play on Friends Records, and and that got my foot in the door in the studio scene, and uh, so I was for you know until up until now, still present day, I can still go on the road and play and still get called for sessions when I'm in town, which is I feel very That's lucky to, to be able to do that. But uh, now, know, do you feel like in Nashville, there's a I know that in LA it's it's either you're either a touring guy or you're a session guy and 
there's I mean, there's a little bit of commingling of the two, but for the most part, you either do one or the other. Do you feel like it's just, it's the same way there in Nashville? Because I, it seems like everybody I talk to does both. Yeah, it's weird. I think there is still that stigma of studio guys and live guys. And I think the A studio guys, those the ones that are getting the you know 80% of the work doing master sessions, mm-hmm. those guys are usually all studio and only go on the road if it's, you know, really lucrative for them to go on the road. So they would be right. totally. And then there's the guys that, uh, that are just road guys may not be able to cut it in the studio or just never had the opportunity to do the studio thing. And they're just total mm-hmm. road guys. And then I think I fall in the middle somewhere where there's, you know, guys that want to do both and can do both. And I mostly do demo sessions and boutique records for friends and stuff like that. And then the occasional right. movie soundtrack will come up or, you know, a master track for someone big. It just depends randomly. But it's mm-hmm. not really consistent. But I'm able to do both the live and studio. So, And like Rich Redman walks that line really well. You know, he's right. he just, I don't understand how he keeps up with himself. <laughs> He's so he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't sleep. I've he, already fig- I figured it out. It's amazing. He doesn't sleep. It's ama- I respect the guy <laughs> incredibly. Um, I don't know how he finds the hours in the days, but he's able to to balance all these things, and it's 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 a really cool thing. And I I strive to be that busy and be able to do all those multiple things. But uh, I feel like he still and he still has energy. Oh, he's in, his energy level is unbelievable. He makes me look like he's like, man. hey, I haven't slept in I haven't slept in three weeks. Uh, <laughs> let's go run a marathon. You're like, come on, yeah, man. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Pretty awesome to see. And just a great it dude. Is. Just a super nice guy. So, yeah, yeah, he's uh, you're probably the third or fourth person who brought him up. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in an interview that and. Everyone said the same exact thing. They're just like, you know, Steve Bowman was saying like the first gig that he got in town, he was like some guy, Rich Redmond called me. He was like, I didn't even know who he was. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, here's a gig for you, you know? And, yeah. and, um, well, that's right. That's I the, met Rich back. I want to say it was 94 or 95, maybe something like that. I can't remember exactly when he moved to town. I think I beat him by maybe a year. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But he knew exact. I mean, Man, he was laser focused back then. He knew what he wanted to do and how to get there, and it, it's very cool to see how he did that. You know, he he knew he wanted right. to be the side guy and be able to do all that he does now. And I was more mm-hmm. of the band guy. I want to be in a band, you know, whatever. And now our two career paths have it, finally they're they're starting to uh, <laughs> I'm starting to parallel it a little bit more now. <laughs> but uh, still, he's I mean he's a great role model. For yeah. for anyone that you know, for that focus and determination, it's pretty awesome. Sure, sure. Cool. So going back to the, we were talking about how some guys, um, you know, can handle the the sessions and some guys can't. Right. And I know there's a lot of reading. Do you read well? You know what? Uh, I read. I don't read well, <laughs> uh, but I have yet to have a session where I've had to read. I, really? Do you do the do you, do you know the number system thing and all that? I do, I do, and uh, yeah. I, I've kind of come up with my the number system is probably the quickest and easy e- easiest thing to do in the studio. But I've kind of come up with my own cheat because I uh, when I listen down to someone's track before we go, you know, if they play the demo, I just have my own little cheat 
sheet that I make. And, and it's basically, I'll just verse, and, uh, you know, if, if it's, most songs have a, you know, a predictable <laughs> count to them. Right. You know? Sure, and sure, sure. So most, you can usually get away with, I can just put verse, chorus, you know, or verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out, and 95% of the time you're going to be on the money. And, uh, right. you know, unless there's odd bars and I'll, I'll dictate that out. But, uh, usually I've, I've been really lucky in my little system that I have. And it means I can pay more attention to what's happening and play off other musicians instead of looking at my chart. Instead I can be more in the yeah. moment. And I, I yeah. find that helps me, Absolutely. you know, and that's just a personal preference, but I, I, mm -hmm. I try to be more in the moment and, and, uh, looking at a piece of paper you know but, but is there is there a lot of that going on down there where there's just like guys are just handing people just these heavy charts uh it probably is i i haven't yeah. really seen it i've been i i got to witness a uh tracking session a friend of mine works for sony playstation and they were tracking some uh a huge orchestra and one day and then like the rhythm section another day and i got to come down to ocean way and go check it out and man, nice. those charts were. That's some heavy. You yeah, had that's to heavy. be a real reader, be able to read it down on the fly, and sure. I mean, they were cutting it in two takes, and it was impressive. <laughs> it was, I mean, I've... with all the time changes, and and I did stuff like that on the cruise ship where we we sight read the whole show, and there was a bunch of um, you know songs crashing into each other with different time changes and stuff. But the, this was a whole other level, and right. you've got say 80 musicians in the room relying on you to nail it <laughs> it's like, right it's, yeah they're like don't don't blow this change man because yeah. we don't feel like playing it again exactly it's, it was really impressive to see and that that was a whole other level that you know my reading skills were are not up to par to do that session um right but it was it was cool to see that happen and, and respect how that how that goes down sure sure it was very cool i have tremendous respect for those guys uh, there was I remember somebody was telling, and I, I forget exactly what show it was for, or, or I think it was like a late show or something, um, like a late night talk show. And they had like 10 guys in the room and they would just set charts on, on the music stand and they would play through them and like one or two guys couldn't do it. So they'd be asked to leave wow. and then they'd put another chart on and two more guys couldn't do it. So, and it was like, they just narrowed it down. And the last guy that was there, they're like, all right, you got the gig. That is amazing. You know, it's like, wow. we need somebody that can read. Absolutely. So how else do you, you know, it's like, hey, man, we don't, we don't got time to mess around here. That's, so. that's pretty intense. I, I mean, that's the way you do it, though. <laughs> I'd have been the first guy out the door. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Crazy. I mean, I could read, but like you said, I'm not, you know, I can't, uh, you can't set, so I couldn't do that, that Sony PlayStation no, session. No, I mean, you know, I, I no would way. need, I would need a, a well, you know, for me to over prepare, I, I would need it a day ahead of time and like go. To, I would want to rehearse it myself and then show up prepared. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now I think I can go. But, uh, I remember in college, I had a I had a uh, a jury that I had to do, and I had a piece that it was really really hard, and I didn't I didn't practice it, and uh, I went to do the jury and. I could kind of sight read the thing and there was some parts where I was a little unsure about. So I just kind of made up like three quarters of it. Yep. And 
but the the people the the judges they didn't have the the music in front of them. But the one guy said, "I really like how you ad lib the last you know three quarters of of the piece." And I was like, and I'm like, how does he know that? And I looked down, and it was arranged by him. <laughs> he was the arranger of the. Piece. That is awesome. Dude, funny. I love that. Yes, I said I told him I got lost, and uh, I was like I didn't know what else to do. So he was like, at least you stayed kind of within the within the theme or whatever. But <laughs> needless to say, that was the last time I ever didn't rehearse my pieces for a right, jury. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than failing publicly to uh, motivate you to. <laughs> yeah. To get everything together. That's all you need. Well, you know, you're like, ah, oh, man, I can do it. I'm the man. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Leave with your tail between your legs. <laughs> yeah. So with the, when we were, you know, talking about the reading thing. Um, so where did you study? Where did, I mean, let's let's kind of back up a little bit and yeah. kind of how you got into drumming. I always, I always like to hear the backstory on how how people got into drumming and and where they really honed their skills and who they studied with. And absolutely, it's funny. I uh, well, I grew up in Southern California, and my dad. Uh, played keyboards and he would record at home and, you know, had a huge record collection. And so there was always music in the house and mostly classic rock, which I still love to this day, what I grew up on. And, um, so at about eight years old, um, on a, I don't even know why, what possessed me to do it, but my dad was also handy. So he had all these old coffee cans full of nails, different size nails. So mm-hmm. each can, if you hit like the Maxwell house containers, yeah, exactly. And yeah, yep. with the plastic lids. And so they were mm-hmm. filled with n- nails of different sizes and quantity, and they would make different, had different tones. And I set them up just instinctively highest to low. And I would beat on them with whatever I had coat hangers or kitchen utensils or whatever. And I would make these melodic things on these nice. cans. And, uh, kind of realized, well, I like doing this. And so I asked for um, a drum set for Christmas one year. I don't even think I thought I'd get it. You know, it was just like something I mm-hmm. wanted. And, and lo and behold, my parents got me like a $100 um, uh, Sears drum kit, three-piece drum kit. Yeah. In fact, on yep. my website, I've got a picture of it. Um, there's a, like a highlights page at the very bottom of the page. There's a picture of that kit from the catalog. Really? Yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting on there. I'm getting on there right now. I'll, I got it right in front of me. Hold on. Oh. Let's see. Where in the images? And uh, so. Oh, highlights. I see. Yeah, it. highlights. I see it. And it's jeffbrowndrums.com. And uh, yeah. at the very bottom, there's Here it is. just a little tiny picture of a three piece drum. Yeah, kit. the blue one. Yep, with a one with a little splash symbol on it. And yep. <laughs> I beat the crap out of that drum kit for a year. We had to send in for replacement parts, you know, new heads, new sticks, new cymbal for like a year. And they figured, well, it sounds like he's going to stick with it. So right. they got me a $400 kit the next Christmas. <laughs> so moving on up. You're moving on up. And it was a Kima, which is like a pearl knockoff. It was like a pearl yep. export knockoff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and I still own that kit up until about six months ago, actually, which is really funny. But uh, really, and I just taught myself how to play. I put on my dad's records, um, everything. My the very first song I learned how to play on drums was "Yes, Owner of a Lonely Heart." <laughs> nice. And uh, every time I hear it, it still it takes me right back to learning that track. Uh, and as an eight nine year old, that's a 
there's some independence that is easy to me now, but as a kid, it was like tricky figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so from there, I just taught myself. I would learn. I could hear what the drums were doing on record and just figured it out. And did that until middle school, seventh grade. We had music class, and so I joined the band and learned my rudiments and then did little concerts at school and did that for seventh and eighth grade. Um, then went to high school, joined the band. There was three bands offered. You know, there was marching, concert, and jazz, and was able to join all of those. And uh, just that's where I kind of learned learn the basics. I I had taught myself drums, but didn't know the rudiments and all that stuff from teaching Mm -hmm. myself at home. So that's kind of where I got more foundational, you know, training is in high school and stuff. But I never really, um, there was a great drummer in my high school. His name was Jeremy Wood, who he was, I believe he was a senior. He was a junior or senior when I was a freshman. And he was just awesome. To me, he was like Stuart Copeland. He could, he could just, play all this stuff flawlessly it was awesome right and uh so i tried to emulate him and i learned a lot of tricks from him but i've never really studied with a drum teacher um okay probably to my detriment but uh, i'm kind of a i'm kind of a loner when it comes to practicing and and getting stuff together it's like i want to come out a fully functional musician when you know it's weird i I've just right. had that mentality always. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. And, uh, do you, what's your, what's your practice routine like? Do you, do you shed a lot or do you not shed as much as you should? Or? It changes. I shed when I feel I need to work on something for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes like I was never a good double bass drum player. I just, I think I was intimidated by, it. I had friends that were really natural at it and could just right. kill on it. I, I wasn't good at it. And I felt I was good at a lot of other things. So I, uh, and like, I love John Bonham. So he was a single kick drum guy. So if he can do it on mm-hmm. single, I can do it on single. No big deal. Sure. Well, more recently, I'm like, well, maybe I'm not as well-rounded as I should be. You know, I can play all these different styles, but I've never been able to do double kick, you know, really to my liking, how I would think I would want to play it. And so got I got a double pedal from Ludwig and their new Atlas, and it's a killer double pedal. So I just started shedding it and slowly worked up. You know, I read a couple articles and, and stuff on how to kind of build it up. And now I'm at a point, mm-hmm. I'm still not hugely technically proficient at it, but I can play it. I'd be comfortable playing it live. So if I got a gig okay. that it called for it, I'd be comfortable taking that gig. Whereas okay. a year ago, I couldn't do that. So, my, so did you do like a some rudiments and stuff between your feet? Yep, and, I did rudiments and you know, yeah. and then I get bored easily. So once I start doing rudiments and I get a little bored, I'll start just playing to you know random beats and I'll try to displace the beats and and uh, just see what I can come up with that sounds cool. And then when I feel like mm-hmm. I'm getting it, I'll record it to see if it really okay. is sounding good. <laughs> right. All right. All right. Let's see if I can really make this sound even and fast and whatever. And, uh, and then when I feel I have it, then I kind of just revisit it every so often. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, and then there's other things where, uh, sometimes I just like to sit at the kit and just groove. I just, I just, it's not even working on a groove. I just want to groove. 
I'm just going to play sure. time and and make it feel as good as possible. And then other times mm-hmm. I want to just blow it out. I want to do every Neil Peart lick I know and and you know whatever Vinny lick I might know. You know, just like right. go off and uh, may just do a free form solo. And sometimes I'll record mm-hmm. that just to see what's working, what's not. See what's going on. Am I rushing? Am I dragging? Is you know whatever. Just it's kind of like a checkup. Let's see where I'm at and see right. what feels good, what doesn't. And uh, right. But then sometimes I'll go weeks or months and not shed at all. Um, hmm. Not necessarily on purpose. Just life gets in the way, or or if you're on the road, you're playing all the time, so you don't have time to practice. Um, right. So it just depends. So I don't have a totally regimented thing at all. It's just whatever mm-hmm. I feel might need some work. And there was a time, a long time, when I was trying to do more studio work, I noticed um, that, and it no one ever said anything in the studio. It was just something I noticed, that some of my snare hits were a little inconsistent. You know, everything was in time. It felt good. But, you know, I could feel a little inconsistency that, through my ear away from the groove. <clears throat> so Di- dynamically, dynamically. And maybe, it, okay. maybe I was hitting all rims and I missed a rim on, you know, you know, I was doing a rim shot on everything and then missed one and it sounded funky to my ear, but everyone loves to track. Right. So they let it go. You know, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't like that. So I, I would, I'd come home and I'd try to hit that snare drum as consistently as possible. And that was a routine I did for a while. And now I feel yeah. I'm pretty good at that, that I can be consistent and, you know, nail it every time. Um, so it's and it's hard, man. Oh, it absolutely. And, you know, adrenaline and, and uh, all sorts of factors can go into that, too. So you got to kind of control mm-hmm. that. And uh, so it's uh, and different styles of music can change the way you, you know, if you're playing something heavier and rock, it you're going to hit it heavier and harder. And if you're playing lighter, it's even harder to play consistently. If you're playing like a light, pretty song, you know, mm-hmm. and you try to hit the same spot, the snare, same velocity, everything. And uh, so I tried to work on all that stuff. And, um, I think that's a constant, you know, I think I'm 99% there, but you can always have a bad day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that there's that, you know, I don't know. As I the the older I get, the more I'm concerned about cleaning up my playing rather than you know playing a million miles an hour or doing all these crazy licks. I'm like, I really just want it to be, you know, very well defined and and not like in a in in like a mathematical kind of way or like a choppy kind of way, but like. You know, I don't know. I just, I want to sound like Steve Gadd. Yeah, when you, I want cut, to, you, know? you want it to breathe a little more. It has the it, the yeah. space in between the notes, also. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all and have control over that totally. Exactly. Like short, I can be shorten that space or you know make that space wider if I want to. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all the so, fine tuning, like... the fine honing of you know the craft. Try to mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. you know absolutely. some some days uh, you you forget your training. <laughs> Some days you right, just go right. and blow it out, and then you realize, man, what was I doing? You know, that wasn't grooving at all. Right. And uh, you got to yeah. kind of reel it back in. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, try to make it second nature, though. That's the that's the key. And it just comes sure. out of you that way. And I always wonder, um, you know, the reason why I asked about the routine, I always wonder, 
what people's practice routines are because there's some people, you know, like take a guy like Jojo Mayer. I'm sure that he sheds all day, every day, right. you know, and, uh, and, but actually, you know what he said, he did say that he doesn't have like a set practice routine, but guys like that and Thomas Lang and all those guys, I'm sure that, I mean, they still have to shed all the time. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel guilty. I'm like, man, I haven't shed and I haven't hit the pad in you know, a week and a half right. or two weeks or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that I end up if I haven't done it in a while, I end up just missing it. It's almost like, man, I haven't hit anything with sticks in a while. <laughs> I need, yep. I just need to, I need to, and my wife knows it too. I'll start, you know, tapping on things around the house during a movie or something. She's like, okay, right, all right. What? Why don't you go play? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Go play. Right. You know, pretty so when you were, you were saying when you were in high school, um, so you were, you were, you looked up to a guy that was a little bit older than you and learned from him. Yeah. Um, but then, and then moving on from there, did you, did you do like the book thing or did you, uh, or just like a, a, a mix of a bunch of different things? You know, it was mostly, I never got into the books, uh, even, even, uh, like videos or anything. It was very rare if I, saw anything other than a live concert or something um i was just so into learning stuff off the record um and challenging you know i'm a huge rush fan to this day my dad introduced me to rush a long long time ago and and uh so that was a challenge to learn all those parts and Mm -hmm. and early on i didn't even know i was playing odd times or across the bar line or anything and uh right and then realizing later what you were able to do is it was kind of cool um that mm-hmm. it came more naturally instead of having to count it out or anything um right and that's helped me when i have to play odd times that i can feel it more than um and i was kind of it was kind of cool seeing a, a clinic with gavin harrison just on youtube how he was talking about he hates counting he wants to feel it so he feels things in phrases sure. and stuff like that and i feel i do that naturally also, just I'd rather feel the phrase uh, instead of totally right, right, subdivide right. it to death. You know, I'd rather. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it makes it feel a little more natural, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I, I totally agree with you. So that's, I totally agree that's with you. That's kind of a cool thing. So I was just learning records, and then I was playing in a band in high school. So we were playing. I got I was lucky enough to play like the Troubadour and the Whiskey A Go Go when I was like 16. Um, nice. And, you know, to hardly any people <laughs> paying to play, like we had to buy sure. tickets for the whiskey. You know, we had to buy like $300 worth of tickets for the whiskey to go to. Like, okay, some of your friends, well, we're in high school. Our friends can't come to the whiskey, right. you know? <laughs> so, right. I never had to, I never had to do that. Like the pay to play pay thing. To play. We would get, we would get tickets and, but they were kind of, they would like front them to us and then we would have to go out and sell them and then whatever we didn't sell um, we would just hand those tickets back in. That's cool. Interesting. You know, but it was never like come buy these tickets. And the promoter that we we used to work with this promoter all the time. Actually, his son was on The Voice last night. Oh, cool. Which is funny. Yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, but like yeah, the pay to play thing is something that totally never. I, like I don't know, it never made it to the to the East Coast or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it was just there were so many bands out in L.A that they had to figure out a way to, you know, there's so many bands they'd book and no one would show up. 
And, sure. you know, they were losing money. They couldn't even sell alcohol, you know, to make up for profit loss. So I think they just yeah. kind of, well, we'll charge the bands to play here and then we'll weed out the ones that can't afford it or have no fan base or, you know, whatever. Um, but if you sold your tickets, then you made money, right? Yes, exactly. Which we right. never were able to <laughs> sell all our tickets. Right. So we never <laughs> had the fruits of our labor. Right, all right. But, uh, oh, yeah, I've, I've been down that road, man. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, it was great while it lasted. And um, we played some really bizarre gigs. And it was a blast. And that's where, I, you know, you cut your teeth on those early bands. Luckily, uh, yeah. I got to play with really good musicians in high school. It was pretty crazy. And I had my first uh, recording, you know, experience in high school. We recorded like a four song mm-hmm. EP at. There was a place called Public Recording in Brea, California, um, right down the street from where Peisty U.S. headquarters are. Uh, I got it. And uh, went in there. All of us were green. We knew nothing, but we went and cut four <laughs> tracks. And it, you know, to us, it was the greatest thing in the world. And uh, yep. it gives you that spark again, like, oh, man, I want to do this for real. I want to, you know, I want to mm-hmm. do this for a living. And you get that itch. You get that itch. And uh, and another cool thing, I uh, had another band teacher that was in a band. And so he liked our band and offered to record our band after school hours in the band room. So we went and set up and recorded another, I mean, we probably recorded seven or eight songs with him in the band room. Awesome. <laughs> so that was cool. We had, you know, teachers like that that were, you know, willing to, to help you out any way they could that that goes a long way that you you know hey i i like what you guys do i want to help you out and i'll, I'll volunteer my time and expertise and record you it's pretty cool that's great there's a lot of kids that that's don't great, have that man. you know i'm sure 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 but uh so and then from there i went to uh fullerton college which is just a local community college um near my house and I went for a semester, maybe a semester and a half and then got the cruise ship gig. And so I was, I was just taking electives basically. I, I didn't, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to make it the long haul in college. I knew I wanted to play right. drums. I knew I was going to do it somehow, some way. I was just doing it to appease my parents going to college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it worked out that I ended up getting a gig and, uh, it, it worked out so far. So luckily, nice. since moving to Nashville, it's, it's, I've been able to continually work, which is awesome and rare. But, uh, yeah. It's cool. So the, so after the cruise ship thing, you get in, you get into Nashville yeah. and so you start doing, you're doing all of the, uh, you're doing the original band Actually, scene. Actually, when I right? first moved, it was a cover band for about two years and we played every okay. college in the Southeast basically. So we were playing frat parties and, uh, some clubs in Nashville and random stuff like that. And, uh, then we okay. decided to become an original band, recorded a record and immediately broke up. <laughs> so, uh, Ugh. yeah, that old, that old story. So when about a week after that band broke up, um, I got word from this other band who was, there was a band called dreaming in English in Nashville. It's my favorite band that going to see live. And, they needed a new drummer. So I got the call, went and auditioned, and got it. And I was in that band for like six years, six or seven years. 
Uh, and you said that was what, like 96? Uh, yeah, 96 to 2001, I think, we played. So it was, and that was awesome. All original, did South by Southwest a couple times. We did, we just had a great time. We toured as much as we could, recorded a record in 98 that I still love, I still listen to. Uh, awesome. And uh, that was a fun band. That was that was the one that I was so disappointed that that went away. Because I, I thought I had it a says you, you guys played with, with Rush in 97. That's right, yes. We got to open for Rush. <sighs> and uh, we That's opened awesome. for Van Halen once, too, at the big amphitheater. Um, nice. Did you meet Neil? Uh, no, I didn't. I got no. to watch him warm up. But that was, there you I, go. I didn't, I didn't get to meet him. But, uh, yeah, so that, those were awesome experiences. Those were really, really cool. So, so now is that band completely done? Yeah, that band, it totally yeah. ended in 2001. Uh, uh, so what happened there? Uh, you know, it was just, it was like a VH1 behind the music. <laughs> it was like yeah. just infighting and uh, drugs and you name it. It was just like, mm-hmm. it, it ended poorly. And uh, uh. But ironically, I now work with the lead guitarist from that band a ton. He's now a producer, owns his own little studio, and I go and track for him as much as possible. It's awesome. So that's been a great relationship. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really cool that that's, right. that's worked out. So, so it was just just chaos in the band, though. Yeah, there was just chaos, and uh, you know, there was we had a manager who great guy, nice guy, but he ended up having to kind of babysit the lead singer instead of uh, dealing with band business. <laughs> right. And so the band went by the wayside and everyone didn't trust each other at the end. And it was, it was just ugly and really for no reason. Uh, it was just, we were too close to it at the time and mm-hmm. it, it just fell apart. I think it was frustration for things not moving faster. And they had already been together. Right. I joined in 96 and they had already been together at least five years, maybe more before that. So this was like the second incarnation of this band. And I think they were starting to get like labels were passing on because didn't we already pass on you, you know, five years ago? And, uh, right, right. you know, so no one, they were kind of untouchable. Is my, is what I got from it. I don't know if that's total mm-hmm. fact, but that's kind of my sure. perception that, but, uh, but yeah, that was a bummer to see that go. And uh, yeah, and then I did some sessions for. There was a rhythm guitarist in that band, and he had a project called um, uh, Another Benny. And so we went and tracked a bunch of songs for that, which are fun songs, but you know, never went anywhere. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <so> pretty, <laughs> that happens. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was you know a couple other band projects that I tried to do, but nothing just. You know, there was one I I think on my website. There's one called Mida Joe, and uh, they uh, we were all in bands together separately, but uh, kind of around the same time. The Dreaming English era. There was a band called Love Circle Logic, and two of the guys from that and I got together. And uh, and my buddy Steve Cook, who's a bass player, he he uh, joined too, and we. I don't even know how long we like basically recorded for a year in, in a basement and finally put out a record and that no one cared about <laughs> and no one wanted to hear, but it was like, we just, it was like going to record every week for a year right. was the fun right, part right, of right. it. And then we may have played sure. one or two shows and then the band was over. <laughs> so 
a colossal waste of time in the end, but it was fun while it was yeah. happening. But, so what I, uh, I saw on here that, um, that you played with, uh, with Peter Wolf and you were on the fantastic four movie soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, the Peter Wolf thing was really cool. Uh, there's a local, um, bar restaurant here in East Nashville called the family wash total musician hangout. Mm-hmm. Awesome place. Right. And the owner of the restaurant is Jamie Rubin. And he called me one day said, Hey, uh, Peter Wolf's going to come play a show here at the bar. Would you want to play with him? Sure. And uh, yeah. so the day before the show, I got together with his guitarist, um, and I'm blanking on his name. He plays with Bob Dylan now, um, Stuart, and I'm blanking on last name, but Stuart plays guitar. So we went through the whole set, and uh, the next day, we ran through like one song with Peter and played a show. And it was all mostly his blues stuff. We didn't play any Jake Isles um, songs at all. But uh, it was a blast. And he was, I mean, this is a tiny little place. And the stage is, you know, like maybe 10 by 8. <laughs> I mean, it's really small. Right. And uh, and he was animated like he was in an arena. And it was that was awesome. fun to see. That was really cool. And his voice sounded amazing. It was, that was a cool experience. And uh, so I, I enjoyed that. And from the same experience, I guess year, I guess the year later, Jamie Rubin also uh, asked me if I wanted to play with Reeves, Reeves Cabrels, when he came to town. Who, for people- you know, I thought, I thought I remembered you saying that it was the guy that owned that restaurant that hooked you up. Yep. With Reeves, they they used to play in a band together in Boston, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, before Reeves joined forces with Tin Machine and David Bowie and stuff like that. Uh, right. And Reeves went through a divorce and was going to move to Nashville. And so he was going to come play a show at the family wash and ask me, Hey, would you want to play with Reeves? Absolutely. I'd love to. Yep. And I've played <laughs> with him ever since. <laughs> it's, awesome. it's been awesome. Love it. And, uh, so I have to thank Jamie Rubin for many of my gigs. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. so that's, that's been outstanding. And now Reeves has joined the cure. So that's pretty awesome for him too. So, oh, really? Yep. He's a permanent member of the cure now. And so I just do his solo stuff when he's in town and we recorded a record that hopefully will come out next year. Um, they we're going to get it mixed in January and, uh, hopefully it'll come out sometime next year, which I'm really proud of. It's a cool record. There's some covers that's on great. it and then, uh, some originals, but it's a, it's a cool record unique but, uh, awesome yeah so good stuff so then so go so the reeve stuff so you're you're still doing the reeve stuff yep. and then you got the uh the casey james stuff going on as well uh-huh. um so what i guess so who so who takes precedent in that in that situation. Well, in this situation now, it would be Casey James would take precedent. If there was a double booking, I would mm-hmm. I would have to go with Casey James just because of the longevity of that. Reeves would understand. Uh, right. And, you know, I have had to sub out a couple times. Um, if I Like when I was with Steel Magnolia um, in 2010, we were on the Brad Paisley tour opening up, and there was some dates that I just couldn't do. And so you got a, another guy, which there's plenty of confident drummers, um, you know, that can definitely do the gig. 
Um, right. I'm just lucky that Reeves likes likes me, <laughs> so I, I right, get right. the first call. But uh, uh, so there has been a few times that I've I've missed, and although I did, and this may have been my detriment to my detriment, but it, when I was with Steel Magnolia, uh, there was a chance Reeves got to do a show in Luxembourg. It was a master class and a show in Luxembourg at the Rock Hall. And I just couldn't pass it up. I was like, man, I, I really want to go. So I yeah. talked to Steel Magnolia and said, hey, man, can I, I'm going to miss these three shows. Said, okay, I'll, I'll get a sub, person you know. And, you know, are you cool with that? I made sure I didn't just bail on them. You know, if they said right, right. no, I, I would have stayed. I would have missed the gigs. But, um, mm. but they said, yeah, man, no problem. Go for it. And so I went to Europe. It was only it was a three day trip. That's it. But it was awesome. Nice. I got to go play with Reeves in Luxembourg. <laughs> That's awesome. Totally worth it. It was awesome. But That's a hard gig. That's a hard gig to pass up. Totally. And but to my detriment, you soon know. after uh, things got tense back in Steel Magnolia, and I ended up quitting, and uh, <laughs> and they replaced me uh. with the guy I had sub. <laughs> 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 so that you know, I think my not doing those gigs may have said, hey, I wasn't loyal or something, which wasn't the fact. It right. was just that I really want to do those gigs with Reeves. So. Yeah. But right now, if that same thing would happen, I would not diss a Casey James gig for Reeves right now. Um, right. Just because of the potential for Casey James next year. He's going to put out a new record, the touring cycle, the whole thing. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. want to be loyal to that and uh, you know, make that happen. And Reeves would totally understand. So. Sure. Now, what's that the uh, the tour that you just got off of with with uh, with Casey? Is that a van tour or is it a bus tour? Oh, it's a bus tour. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and uh, nice. yeah, they do it right. It's got great management, great team, great crew on the road. I mean, it's a really great organization and mellow. Like they are like huge partiers. Um, you know, it's it's actually a really nice situation. It's kind of kind of cool, and. Uh, which makes it nice. Not, uh, yeah, that makes it a lot easier, man. It does. You know, there's no, and there's no egos. There's no, it's, it's been really enjoyable. So hopefully great. he'll invite me out again. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll yeah, man, that'd be great. On. Yeah, absolutely. Who was, I, I thought when we were, when we had, uh, sorry, I moved away from the microphone there That's for a second. Good. I thought when we were at lunch together in July, you were saying that you were working with, um, another artist. I thought you said that you were working on a record with a female artist or something like that, or did I make that up? Um, let's, let me think back. <laughs> I can't remember right now who that would be. I did do a... Oh, uh, yes, that's right. I did some tracks for Aria Summer, who she was a Nickelodeon actress. She was on some Nickelodeon like kids show and now she's right. now she's trying to be a, a country artist and so i just i was literally probably the week before i saw you i was in the studio with her and uh mm-hmm. that was that was a cool session that was that was a whole lot of fun and uh i can't remember how many tracks we did we probably did six tracks with her and uh i actually haven't heard anything back i i someone sent me the mixes of the session which was great sounded awesome uh, but I haven't heard if she's gotten a deal or or what. 
from that. I got you. But, uh, but she was great, and she could actually sing. She could actually play. Uh, she played piano, outstanding. She could play guitar. Uh, so she was the real deal. She wasn't kind of like a, you know, a pretty face you put up and, okay, go ahead and sing. She could actually right. pull it off, which was refreshing. It was actually really nice. And she was super sweet, too. She she had no ego, and she hung out with the band, and, you know, that was super cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good. So that was, That's good to that hear. That was a good experience. Yeah, I just, I don't know what made me, what made me even think of that. It just, you know, it just kind of, kind of, uh, kind of hit my, came into my brain there for a second yeah. and, and I couldn't, I don't know why. So yeah, I and I, and I totally was blanking for a minute, like, huh, who did I play with? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, she was sweet all right. summer. She was totally cool. Cool. But, uh, oh, and you asked earlier about the, uh, Fantastic Four soundtrack and I also did Electra soundtrack, uh, which was terrible booty, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I was got asked to play for this girl uh, Megan McCauley, um, who was on Wind Up Records, um, through that band that we recorded for a year and then released something for no one. Um, that band was the backup band for this Megan McCauley on record, and so we I got we went to Ocean Way and we tracked I think four songs, and two of the four were each on a soundtrack. So. It's not bad. Um, yeah, so Electra, if you if you dare watch the movie, <laughs> when the end credits roll on that song, that's me playing drums uh, on the during the credits, and then uh, nice. Fantastic Four. I know it's the song's on the soundtrack, but I don't know if it actually appears in the movie. If it does, it's probably a snippet. But uh, I got you. But that was cool too. That was a that was a cool experience. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. And man, that recording Ocean Way, uh, we had some awesome sounds the drums sounded huge on that record i'm sure it was very very cool i'm sure yeah that was a that was a cool experience um nice just lush (laughs) (laughs) but uh so those were fun and then uh see after that i kind of moved i was just playing with random people mostly friends that had bands that needed someone Mm -hmm. um and then I was actually on tour with Reeves in 2009. We did like a two-week East Coast tour. Um, and while I was out there the last week, my friend Steve Cook, great bass player, he's currently with Phil Vassar, but at the time he was with Bucky Covington. Um, he called me up and said, hey, we're, we're going to make a drumming change. Are you available? Like tomorrow. <laughs> like, man, I'm on the road. I, wow. There's no way I can't, I can't do it. Uh, but if you wait a week if it's possible, I can do it the following week, you know, send me, right. send me tracks to learn and I can be there. And so said, well, I'll get back to you. They talked it over and they said it was worth the wait. And, uh, so I, Great. the next week I basically had to learn a very similar situation with Casey James. I basically had to learn, you know, a 90 minute set in three days and uh, my first gig with Bucky was opening for Darius Rucker in front of like 5,000 people. And uh, yeah, that talk about nerve wracking. Nice. And, uh, yeah. and they definitely had a show where the first three songs were bang, 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 right into each other. And you had to, you know, it was the first gig in a long time I'd had where you had to, you know, be on top of it, you know, get that click track going for the next song in the last four bars of the last song, you know. So you got the tempo mm-hmm. for the next, you know, it was, it was a stressful yeah. moment, especially without a proper rehearsal with them. It was just, you know, learn it and go. <laughs> right. And, uh, that was cool. 
and I talked to Bucky afterwards. I'm like, hey man, hope you enjoyed it. Was he's like, I didn't miss anything. So you you did all right. Welcome to the band. And uh, well, there you so, go. So I played with him for about a year, and uh, super nice guy, super great. Well, it was it was a good experience. That was my first real country gig, 2009. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was that was pretty cool. Nice. And uh, it's a. It's a long road, man. You know, it's like you know, they call these places five-year towns at least, you yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. And I and, and uh, I have never said, in fact, if anything, I set out to not play country, you know, for as long as possible until, right. until the moment comes where you're offered it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I think I'll do it. And, you know, it's ended right. up being great. You can only fight it for so long. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, right. And it's been great. I mean, it's most of the stuff you play is, pretty rockin' anyways, you know, it's, a mm-hmm. lot of it's rock music with a fiddle or a pedal steel or something, you know, it's, uh, right. so, you can, you can still rock out and have your rock star dreams come true, <laughs> even playing right, country. Right, right. But, sure. I'm sure, you know, you look at someone, like we were talking about Rich earlier, I'm sure he feels like a rock star. Oh, without you a know? doubt. You know, I mean, he's a country rock star, but like, yeah. I'm sure he's not like, oh, this isn't what I, you know, like, yeah, no, I, I don't think he's missing anything. He's, I'm sure he's very right. happy where he is. And, and yeah, yeah, definitely. Those guys are rock stars. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're on top. So speaking of that, you know, the, the five year town, uh, kind of thing, what advice do you have for, for guys that are trying to come up and, and really trying to, to make a name for themselves, whether it be in Nashville or, or anywhere else? Uh, there's a couple things. Uh, I think the first thing is, man, you really have to have, you know, your stuff together. It, be it playing, you should be able to play all styles, you know, or many styles, you know, just proficiently, you know, even jazz, Latin, rock, uh, even rap. You you should be able to to be that diverse and just mm-hmm. make sure you got it down. Um, Reading is a plus, but not necessity. I mean, if I could do it all over again, I would try to become a, and I may still, that may be something I'd totally work on in the near future, just becoming a better reader. Um, right. And, uh, but, uh, one of the, you know, my, my biggest regret, and I'm going to start taking it soon. I, my biggest regret is not taking piano lessons. Um, yeah. if I had taken piano lessons, it would have made me a better musician faster. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel I have big ears. I, I listen musically and, and play musically, but if I had that piano lesson foundation, I think that would have been even better. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm making that a goal to actually take piano lessons and <laughs> better myself that way. Uh, well, I'll make, I don't know if this will make you feel any better or not, but I played piano for nine years yep. before I started playing drums well, and I, I can't play anything on the piano now. That's funny. Nothing. But you know, that was you have, good. but you have a foundation in that though. You know, you have an understanding right. of of uh that most drummers don't. You know, even if yeah, you can't true. play it anymore, you, you have that foundation, even if it's subconscious. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's which is pretty cool. I mean I did like recitals in the whole nine. Wow. Like I was you know, I was I was pretty good and then I just I stopped. That's pretty you know? cool. <laughs> it's pretty so. funny. Um and then, anyway, go ahead, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. That's that's great. Um and then, you know, once you have your playing together, then also it does matter your gear. 
it, it doesn't have to be top of the line or anything, but it needs to be good working condition and fail, you know, fail proof. It needs to work all the time. I've, I've mm-hmm. seen some guys come to town and obviously budgets, uh, a concern, but it's, it's your tools of the trade. You know, if, if you're a welder, you're not going to have the cheapest stuff because it could blow up on you. If you're, you know, whatever tool you need for your trade, it needs to be quality. Um, right. And I see so many people without quality gear and it, and it comes across that way too, you know, and people will, mm-hmm. you know, you will, you listen with your eyes also. And if it doesn't look good and you're, it's going to have a bad, you know, leave a bad taste in someone's mouth. Sure. So, sure. And that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it would just be advice I would give. Um, right. And then be nice to everyone because you never know who will help you down the road. Even if yep. it's, a, you know, someone shuffling papers at, you know, the booking agent or whatever, mm-hmm. you never know. I, uh, most of my gigs have come, you know, you you always hear the term, it's all who you know. You know, that's how mm-hmm. you get ahead. It's all who you know. It's so true, but not in the way I always thought. I always thought you had to know some powerful people, and that's how you get ahead, you know. So how do you meet all these right. powerful people? It's so not that. It's the people you used to play in bands with. It's people that managed you or booked you or, uh, like, I worked in a restaurant for, like, 12 years while I was here grinding it out and people I met in that restaurant. In fact, the way I got this Casey James gig, a girl I worked in the restaurant with, her husband is Casey James manager. (laughs) See that? It's nuts. And I haven't talked to them in probably over a decade, but they remembered me. They liked me. I had, you know, and they gave me a call, gave me a shot. That's awesome. And, uh, did you ever read, uh, Mel Brown has a book called, uh, from zero to side man. Did you, ever, did you ever hear that book? Uh, I think you told me about it actually. I, I want did to, I? Read it. yeah, I think you did. Yeah. It's a, it's a good book. I want it's to read definitely that. a good book. Definitely. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And same with the sessions I've gotten. It's all from people I used to play with in bands or, you know, someone that was a guitarist that I played with once on a, you know, on another session is now a producer or the songwriter right. on a tune, you know, it's all relationships. And I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, uh, that's, that's where the, it's a relationship game. Totally. You know, it's, and it's, right. and you have to be genuine, you know, you just don't want to be, uh, right. You know, nice. You got to create those, you know, you have to nurture those relationships and it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. So be nice to everyone because you just never know. Um, it's extremely good advice. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It is so true. And, uh, and just, you know, work hard. I've, I feel I've got a good work ethic, and I, I want to be the best I can be when I'm on a session or a gig. I want it to be perfect. Even though mm-hmm. there probably is no perfect, but I, I strive for that. I want it to be, right. you know, as good as it can possibly be. And uh, Absolutely. I think that's that's the way everyone should be. And uh, music will only be better if you feel that way. <laughs> Agreed. But, and what's a... Uh... What's a record you were talking about, you know, that, that you learned from a lot of records and, and so what's a, what's a record that you suggest everybody put or everybody checks out? Man, that's, that's a tough one. There was such a multitude of records. Um, like ones that I learned from, I, I wore out like the police synchronicity 
because there's so mm-hmm. many different styles on it. Um, rush moving pictures for the challenge. Um, there's a band called Toy Matinee that tons of people don't know about, but uh, Brian McLeod played drums on it, and it's one of my favorite records. And it's uh, Kevin Gilbert on guitar, and it's it's killer. Hmm. Um, and it's nice. just a pop record. I mean, you're not right, you're, right. yeah, you're not breaking new ground, but it's so perfectly played and awesome. Um, right. And Dude, I just interviewed I I just interviewed uh Steve Bowman and he like August and everything after is my favorite record. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's like totally a pop record and Yep. Yeah, so I understand what you mean with like, oh, it's just a pop record. It was great. Yeah, so. it, and there's something like Ken Sumner's Tales thing. Uh that when that came out, uh that was one of those mm-hmm. records that you just had to learn it. And and it's deceivingly difficult because of all the odd times. But it's so perfectly played. It's just, mm-hmm. it's magic. When you finally, you know, play it right, it's like, man, that is the, how did he come up with that? You know, it's it's such yep. a cool thing. Um, so there's, and that's the cool thing too. You can learn from any style of music. You know, so I used to be a total music snob growing up. <laughs> you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. it had to be, you know, this. I didn't like pop. Right, right, right. And now it's like, the more the merrier. I want to hear everything I can because you can mm-hmm. learn, you know, when I learned how to play reggae, that was like a complete epiphany. Like, well, if this is out there. What else is out there? <laughs> you know? It's like, yep, yep, and it's yep. like, oh man, this is totally cool. And you can, you can just learn so much. Um, and even, man, some of the best drummers in the world are on these country tracks. I mean, literally, there's oh, Cannon yeah. Forest is unbelievably mm-hmm. good. Um, there's, there's just so many good drummers out there. And of course, everything Vinny does, um, is outstanding and mm-hmm. it's cool. And even, uh, my new friend, Bermuda Schwartz, him playing with Weird Al Yankovic, he's playing all those different styles flawlessly and cool. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's so awesome. I that bet that was a tough gig. Yeah. And I mean, he's the perfect guy for it. I think it's killer, you know? Yeah. Um, I just love that stuff. That uh, oh, there's there's so many great drummers to learn from, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of them Agreed. are are schooled and trained. But some of the most interesting are the self taught guys that are making it up mm-hmm. as they go. And uh, yep. that's that's what's so cool. It's a you can do so much on the instrument and be so creative. One of my favorite records too. I I try to turn everyone onto this record. It's by a guy named Neil Lara. N-I-L-A-L-N-I-L-L-A-R-A. And he had... Let me me write that down. Yeah, I think he only had one record, or at least one. That was his main record that he had. I don't even know who plays drums on it, but it's mostly like Cuban, Latin, but it's pop. At its core, it's pop. And it is the coolest, most grooving record. Um, Not all the songs are winners, but there's enough on there to keep you happy it is a great record i've turned it on to so many people nice. i've got like sound you know engine sound engineers play it for their pre-show music because they they fell in love with it and it sounds so oh, good really? and what's it called again uh neil lara i'm not sure let me uh let me bring up my iTunes and see if the record has a name other than neil lara uh but uh it's such a cool cool record. 
Yeah, because I'll be, I'll, uh, when you can give it to me, let me know when we're, you know, when we're done and I can yeah. put it in the show notes, put it in the show notes for the, uh, Perfect. for the website. So Perfect. yeah, it's just a self-titled it record, Neil Lera. So definitely. Cool. Um, but that's a great record that kind of changed. There's so much space in that record too, that it's grooving. He's a great guitarist. And then, um, just, it's so, it's a good record. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out as soon as we're done. So absolutely. And I also grew up on all the night, you know, like Jane's Addiction to Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Tool and right. Smashing Pumpkins. I grew up on all the, and those were all great drummers in all those bands. So there was so much to pull mm-hmm. from in that era. Um, yep. Which I love. So that's kind of where I come. Yeah. From. One of the. What? That's how you cut your teeth. Yeah. The. Uh, so, yeah, that whole like the Soundgarden thing, and one of the artists for for Boso is a uh, is Scott Mercado from Candlebox, yep. and uh, he was on the show a couple weeks ago. Sweet, and uh, he's phenomenal, man. I didn't realize he's like a heavy, heavy jazz guy too. That's cool. I didn't realize that. I actually got I saw him open yeah. for Rush out in L.A. I don't remember. We what talked year. about that. I bet that we talked about that. Yeah, that that was killer. I, that was the first time I'd even heard of Candlebox or anything, and I saw them open for Rush, and I was like, "Man, these guys are rocking!" Yeah. That was really yep. cool. Really cool. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that he was like a this huge. He was like a a heavy jazz guy, and then was even like a super like jazz snob for a while yep. and everything. And then he goes through the rock thing, and everything. the interview's cool, man. It'll be it'll be up on the site soon. Awesome. You can check I would it out, definitely so. check that out. That's killer. Cool. So, hey, man, we're at like an hour and, and 15 minutes. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm free, whatever, however you want to do it. I'm all, I'm all good. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I think we got a lot. Cool. So, cool. you know. Yeah. I, enjoyable. It's fun. Cool. I really, I really appreciate you doing this, man. Absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure and we'll have to, uh, we'll definitely have to link up again here soon and, uh, we could do some other stuff or, you know, when you're back out on the road, maybe we can do some stuff on the road or whatever. So without a doubt, that'd be great. I'd love that. Cool. Awesome. Cool. And good luck with the site. That's killer. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. All right. So there you have it, Mr. Jeff Brown. And the reason why that, that, uh, the interview ended a little abruptly was he and I actually kept talking. We went on a, a little bit of a, uh, tangent there so i cut that out not to not to bore you guys so uh but check out jeff's website jeffbrowndrums.com or you can check out caseyjamesofficial.com and reeves gabrell's his website is reeves r-e-e-v-z as in zebra.net and you can reach us drummersresource.com or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource and if you want to get at me directly you can reach me on twitter at nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F as in Frank, F-I-N-I. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can get on there, subscribe, leave a comment, leave the rating uh, for the show, and I would definitely, definitely appreciate that. I got another podcast coming at you next week, another in-depth interview. Uh, Next week is Steve Bowman from The Counting Crows. And until then, thanks so much for listening. Keep drumming, and I'm out of here. See you.